0: author of the book, Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back, and it was named by Forbes as one of the top seven business books that entrepreneurs really need. He's been a speaker for over 20 years and flies around the world for numerous speaking engagements every year. David, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here, glad to share with your audience.
0: Yeah, so when I first heard your stuff, you know, you had that really strong, great energy about yourself. And then I realized that you're quite good friends with Jeffrey Gittimer. And I realized that I put two and two together. I don't know which one came first, but... Uh,
1: well, I don't think any any of us want to be Jeffrey Gittimer. <laughs> I think we're happy to be on the good side of Jeffrey Gittimer. Jeff, Jeff's a great guy. He, he actually wrote the foreword to my my last book, my last marketing book, called Visibility Marketing. But he's a great guy. If we could just get him to come out of his shell a bit <laughs> and, tell us, and tell us what he really believes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So you started in the marketing area. I think you made a shift over to you know customer experience. Why? It's a great
1: question. You know, I spent 20 years talking marketing. I wrote the book. It's not who you know; it's who knows you. I had a great career speaking, consulting, helping organizations and small businesses and otherwise stand out in a really competitive marketplace? How do they raise their visibility and, and better communicate what they do? What I came to sort of realize over the years, especially in the last five years, is that what companies say about themselves, what entrepreneurs, business owners and others, how they describe themselves, their marketing, all that, is far less meaningful and far less impactful than what other people are saying about them. Mm. And so I was actually having great success. I was I was helping build companies I was getting them on on Oprah and Good Morning America and and Great Press. And and then they were just, for lack of a better term, pissing off their customers by just being inflexible or by just having a process that was frustrating their customers. So I started doing a lot of research, anecdotal and otherwise. I just talked to a lot of people. What are the things that frustrate you about how business is done? And to say that I was inundated with, (laughs) with suggestions is an understatement. So social media and others... And so I, so I broke it down, I found like 23 different ways that companies frustrate their customers unintentionally, okay. inadvertently, by just doing business the way we do it. And it turned into a book. <laughs> so my new book is called Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back. And it's been translated into seven languages now around the world. We actually launched in December in, in Mumbai, India, and Forbes, it was named as one of the seven books that entrepreneurs need to read in one of their 10 best business books of the year. And because it just resonates, people read it and they're laughing. They're like, Oh God, I hate when they do that. Oh, I hate that. (laughs) And business owners need to listen. They need to wake up to certain things that they're doing that are just frustrating in our attempt as business owners to have some measure of predictability. Here's how we do it. Here's where you research. Here's how you buy. And then we have some measure of predictability, right? And behavior and revenue and profit. The problem is most customers have not read our employee manual. (laughs) They don't know how they're supposed to do business. They just know how they want to do business. And so it makes sense if you're Chipotle, right? You line up here, you order, you customize your order, your burrito, you pay for it, you get your drink and you sit down. How many of us in business, especially in the construction industry and coatings and materials, have that simple a process. Everything is kind of customized to an extent, right? Because every project is different, the requirements are different, but the more we try and control, here's how we want them to do business with us, the more we're losing customers and we're losing them left and right. And so that's my message mm-hmm. on virtual presentations, on podcasts, podcast and what I do in keynote presentations to organizations in 24 countries around the world.
0: Okay, so you talked about flexibility. so. To what extent does like, let's say a big company has a lot of resources, but small to, to medium-sized business, at what extent can you be flexible without sort of losing all process?
1: Right. Well, and that's, that's the best question, especially within the construction industry. And the reality is we have to be flexible to an extraordinary extent. We are entering an age of extraordinary accommodation that's going to require. I'm not talking about modifying your entire stopping your manufacturing plant to do one minor modification. It means rethinking how we manufacture. It means rethinking our supply chain to be able to say yes more often. There's so many things. I have a whole exercise when I do strategic consulting with organizations and I go in and sometimes we'll break them up into groups. And one of the exercises, the whole idea of getting to yes. How often do we say no? We say no far more often. Then organizations recognize, and oftentimes we don't know how often because our frontline people don't tell us how many times they have to say no. Mm-hmm. What well, do you guys do? You guys do overnight delivery? Oh, we don't offer that. Why not? Amazon does it. You don't know when. You don't know when the the delivery is going to show up. Uber does. There's the car. There's exactly where the car is. It's at this stoplight, and they're going to be here in 19 minutes. Why can't you tell me that? Yeah. Now it's not a fair comparison, but it's an accurate comparison. We're being asked that. So, to get back to your question, how do we accommodate without completely disrupting how we do business? It starts with conversations, it starts with exploration, because right now we're just doing the easiest thing, which is saying, no, we don't do that. Now, smaller businesses, of course, we have a level of flexibility. We are extraordinarily accommodating. We can do things that big companies can't. I'm saying everybody has to more than you have ever before, because not only do you potentially lose That customer who you won't do some measure of flexibility with, but you lose the lifetime value of that customer, which could be $100,000. It could be a million dollars or more because we leave. I was doing an interview and somebody says, you know, the title of your book is Why Customers Leave. He says, why do customers leave? I said, they leave because they can, right? If you go and have a bad experience at a restaurant, or you just don't like an item, we're not going to generally go back and try something else. We just go somewhere else. Because we can. Because our choices are unbelievable and vast, and not just locally, but on the internet and internationally. And things that I can get certain things delivered to me, bought online faster than I can buy them in my own city. The world has changed. The plethora of choices that we have necessitates an extraordinary level of accommodation. Now, during the whole pandemic and everything else has everybody learned that we could do business differently? How much did we learn that we could do at home, sitting in our pajamas or with no pants? You have no idea what's <laughs> happening from the waist <laughs> down with me right now. And you, and you won't. No, but we're kind of learning that the world has changed. I mean, it was already happening, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. We, we talk about this has accelerated what has been prognosticated, mm. right? We knew a lot of things were going to go virtual. Right. We knew that we could do it. Doesn't mean that it's preferable, but it's certainly a reasonable accommodation during times when we are physically separated. And that's going to happen for an extended period of time that will be phased in, depending on no matter when you're listening to this, we know that our lives have changed. But with that, that's what's changed is our expectations of what can be done. We've kind of learned that, wow, we could do a lot of things differently. So it's changed us. Our expectations, how fast we expect an answer, access to real people, visibility into your supply chain and to a process. When is something going to arrive? We're getting used to that. We can see that. We can track that. If you don't offer that, you're behind. And in times when we are in slower or we are separated, this is the time to re-examine all of that. Look Mm. at every point of contact. This is what I'm telling audiences, organizations around the world. Take a step back. Look at how you do what you do. If it was designed, your process, whether it's manufacturing or delivery of your product or services or the purchasing process, if that was designed more than 13 years ago, (laughs) before the iPhone, which most of ours was, understand the world has changed. How we buy and all of us, everybody listening, our biggest role in this economy is consumers. We're all consumers. We're all fighting over toilet paper and, and stocking up on meat, no matter what you do in your business. We've learned that we can do things differently. I hear people all the time, speakers, authors, and they say, it's sort of trite to say, they've been saying it for 30 years, Listen, technology will change and process will change and you can't control your competitors and the economy will change, but people don't change. Are you kidding me? It's ridiculous. We've all changed. We've just gotten, I ask audiences, I say, anybody notice that your customers are getting a little more impatient (laughs) than they have been, or a little more demanding? It's like we all have. As live, I could go to any one of your houses right now, go to your house, go to your apartment. I'm going to walk into your house, go into your kitchen. I'm going to look at your microwave oven and it's going to be at two seconds, right? Or three, because you couldn't wait. They last two seconds, like five, four, three. Oh, you're done. Just give me a, right? <laughs> yeah. We all don't blame the millennials. Yeah. It's everybody, <laughs> but it's changed how we buy. And it doesn't matter if it's B2B or B2C we've just become a little more demanding. It doesn't mean we're being, pardon my language, being pricks about it. It's just, we kind of expect that we can be able to get And if you can't, somebody else can. Mm. Every time you say no, somebody else, well, it doesn't mean we have to say yes to everything, but it just means we have to say yes a lot more often. Mm. I'll give you quick examples. I know you probably have a million questions, but I just kind of go off on a rant here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like young woman's with their friends at a restaurant. And she orders from the waiter. She gets a chicken Caesar salad. She goes, can I get shrimp instead of chicken? I see a shrimp on the menu. And he goes, oh, no, sorry. We don't have any menu substitutions. Why? (laughs) You know why? Because the cook doesn't want to do it. Now, Do you know who doesn't care what the cook wants to do? Oh, yeah. Everybody. (laughs) Like, just give her shrimp. Charge her a couple extra bucks. We say no so fast. I mean, what's the alternative? Let's not give her what she wants. Then she doesn't come back. Or she goes online and rants about what jerks you were and gives you a horrible Yelp rating. And and now they tell everybody. Because we grew up in business. Let am going to give you this last thing. I'll let you ask me a question. Because, you know, I speak for others, what I do. We grew up in business. And everybody listening has heard this, some variation of this. We used to call it guest relations philosophy. And it goes something like this. The average person with a positive experience tells two or three people. But somebody with a negative experience will tell 10. Mm-hmm. right? We've all heard that. Of yeah, 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 Friends, none of that is true anymore. We tell thousands, <laughs> we tell millions, like just drag a paying customer off your airplane. Let's see if that spreads on social media, right? We tell everybody. I tell my kids all the time. And my kids were not kids. I mean, they're teens and, and early twenties and they're friends. I say, be careful what you post. My God, they share everything. I said, you know, that never goes away. I said, you know, the difference between love and the internet, What? Yeah, the internet is the internet is forever <laughs> and ever. What a horribly cynical thing. Who would say that <laughs> to their children? I am a bad father. <laughs> but the point is, there's a permanence to infractions today. There's a permanence to frustration. We got to look at every point and ask ourselves a question along your customer's journey. This is the time you have time to do that. Ask the question, is that the way it should be done? And it's the way we do it. It's the way our our competitors do it. It's the way our industry does it. But does it have to be done? Could it be done better or faster or smarter or with less friction? Or maybe we take a nine-step process and reimagine it into a six-step process. And we have created competitive advantage. That's what customer experience is. It's not being nice and saying, so what are your plans for the weekend, right? That's, That's customer service. We get that. It's important. But you either get it or you don't. The experience is different today. How do we do business with you? My bank, 90% of 95% of my interaction with the bank has nothing to do with a person. My experience is all on the app. I speak for a client. I get off stage. They give me a nice check. I go back to my hotel room. I sign the back. I take a picture of it. It's deposited. My daughter shoots me a text from college. By the way, her ringtone is a cash register sound because... (laughs) That's why I need money. So I just (laughs) transferred, I'm done, right? There is, that's my experience. And there was no people. How much are we learning from other industries? And how much are we as vendors within the construction industry, manufacturers, providers, suppliers, and others, have we pivoted with that? Have We made those additional accommodations because now is the time to do it.
0: You touched on simplification. I love that topic of simplification. Are there other examples of companies that have approached that process in something that to improve the
1: customer experience? Well, Absolutely. Well, You see it all the time. I mean, listen, history will record this time as a time of extraordinary innovation. As they say, necessity is the mother of invention, right? We have needs. We have needs of, of how do we do what we do with giving a sense of, of distance or giving a sense of cleanliness and sterilization, how we communicate. We're learning that we can do everything differently. What's interesting is, because there's examples everywhere, but it comes from industries that have been disrupted. And I would submit every industry is going to be disrupted. And it's not, it's not a buzzword. It's a philosophy that's changing the world. We have some brilliant people right now and driven in large part by, hey, we can make money on this, (laughs) right? But there's, they've even talked about creating new Manhattan projects. Remember the Manhattan project was bringing together scientists, Mm -hmm. the best to create the atom bomb. Mm -hmm. What if we brought the best of the best together and said, let's figure out the fuel cell problem Mm -hmm. or challenge. Mm -hmm. Let's do it and put together the biggest minds and give them a hundred million dollars. And everybody, if you do this together, you're going to be set for life, whatever. And right so what we're seeing in disruption, and let me give you an example that will sort of make sense to everybody listening. In the mid-1960s, there was a guy named Pete Pyre, and he worked for Hewlett Packard, and he'd come up with a this concept called zero-based budgeting. Mm-hmm. And what he was solving was, the problem was, traditionally, in every process you have in your company, we use last year's model as a baseline. Here's how we've always done it. How can we tweak it, right? That's how we get a little bit better. Each product, each iteration, each generation is a little bit better new features. Here's a new car and new cars are going to now have USB ports and all those things that we've been seeing. Those are incremental advancements. But zero-based budgeting asked a different question, which was, instead of how do we modify it for the next year, what if we started over? What if we were going to do it today? So if your marketing department had a $100,000 budget, as opposed to what are we going to do or not do, if we were going to start our company today, what would we need for a marketing department? And it was called zero-based budgeting. And they did it in the budgeting process, but disruption does the same thing. So imagine, everybody listening to this or watching this on video, imagine you left your company today. You decided to leave. You were gonna start a competing company to the company you currently work for. You have funding. You have, you could take all your knowledge with you, but you're not bound by any legacy systems or technology or people. You can literally start from scratch. How would you do it differently? Mm. If you were going to build your business and you're not tied to, here's old clients, here's how we do it. But if we were going to create a powder coating company today, if we were going to create a window company today, what would it look like? Taking into account the sensitivities in the marketplace, the environmental concerns, regulatory environment, government mandates, or even incentives, right? We could start over because the reality is every new competitor, that's what they get to do. But when it happens to you, we call that disruption, right? Somebody's rethinking everything. Like it's saying, listen, we got a big problem with transportation in the world. How do we we have too many cars? Do we make them more fuel efficient? Do we elevate highways? I got an idea. What if we took all the cars that are already on the road and just turned them into taxis? (laughs) That's Uber. That's disruption. What if everybody's house is a hotel instead of building, right? Then you get Airbnb that's disruption. So when it happens to you, it's disruption. But when we do it as an industry, as a company, we just call that innovation. It's the same thing. It's just whether it's happening to you. (laughs) So what I encourage organizations and companies that I work with is let's innovate, let's disrupt our own companies. So sometimes I'll do it. I'll do like a full day with the company and I'll break everybody up into tables. Everybody pick a point of contact. How would you do it differently? If, there, if technology wasn't an issue, mm. right? Or money wasn't like, what would be a really cool way to do this? What could we do to make it faster or simpler? So people would skip over processes and just get to what they want. That's disruption today. That's the creative things that we're seeing in the marketplace. And as I said, we're going to see, we're going to see an age of incredible innovation really cool ideas, but not G-Wiz for the sake of G-Wiz. Mm. It's it's to be remarkably easy to do business with. Today, oftentimes your competitive advantage, because other people talk about customer experience, most of us don't have wow moments. I hear people all the time, we got to create wow moments. We're not all double tree giving everybody a chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> most, if we're selling a foam insulation to an installer who's selling it to a general contractor, not a lot of wow right there. <laughs> but we can be remarkably responsive and accommodating and flexible and give them more options, right? I use this all the time. Here's my, there you go, my easy buddy, (laughs) right? For me, you know who I love working with? The people I don't have to think about it. And the ones who don't make me do business their way. When I'm at Walmart and I have a shopping cart that's over full, because I got teenagers at home I go up there and they try and direct me to the self-checkout. I'm like, oh, oh, sorry, I don't work here. I'm not trying to be insulting. I'm terrible. At, I'm horrible at this. Every item is an unexpected item in the bagging area. And it takes me 45 minutes what they can do in 10 minutes. The problem that companies have, let me give you the problem that we're trying yeah, to solve. Yeah. The problem is we've become more rigid. We've be, we're so frantic to control what we can in our business because business is hard. I'm very sensitive to that the marketplace is hard competition is hard and there's so much that's out of our control so we try and control what we can if we can design a process and a flow and here's how our customers we can have a greater predictability of behavior and attitudes and selection and ordering and timing and revenue and profit as i said our customers haven't read our employee manual and so the challenge that we're having today is we're getting frustrated you ever go to a you ever go to a website and you have a question mm-hmm. for a company? Just, a, just a question. Sure. There is no phone number. Mm. There's no freaking phone number. Like, I, like, I literally can't. You know, they, they made a a conscious decision that we will not let our customers call us. Yeah. Like, we're, we're that good. It frustrates me. <laughs> no We've phone created, number. Every, it frustrates everybody. <laughs> We've created the cure for cancer that tastes like chocolate. That's how good. They don't get because somebody believed that, Listen, we'll just direct them to the contact form right? They have this horrible contact form. They'll (laughs) fill it out. We'll be able to capture their information so we can market to them. Maybe we can ask some pre-qualifying questions like, are you going to buy in the next six months? Here's the problem. We don't want to fill out your freaking form. We just wanted to talk to a real person and you wouldn't let us. 85% of the people will not fill out a contact form. They'll just call somebody else. 41% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Did you know that? That's true. Just like I just did. Anyway, the point is, you're losing more customers if your primary way of getting a hold of you is a contact form. We just don't listen. If we called, I live just south of Denver, mm. and I'm out in the burbs. I'm going to call. A sec, I had sprinkler heads that were shooting straight up in the air, mm. and somebody I think the roto till or something get busted. I keep saying I'm going to fix it. I'm not going to fix it. So I go on Craigslist, and <laughs> so I came a list of 20 people that did sprinkler installation, sprinkler repair. Yeah, I call the first one on the list. I get a voicemail out working in the field. We'll call you when I get back. Here's my question to you. Did I leave a message? Yes or no? Absolutely not. No, nobody (laughs) leaves a message. We just call the next one. That's one of those examples of how we frustrate customers. You have a contact form because we want them to fill out the form. They don't want to do it. They just call somebody else. You're great. I want everybody listening or watching this. This is the biggest takeaway from this call. Your biggest source of lost revenue in your business is the customer you never knew about. Mm. They went to your website, they clicked away because they couldn't find easily, couldn't find They called on the phone and they hung up because they didn't want to navigate your HR system and figure out all of your selections. They just wanted to talk to a real person, right? They drove by and they didn't stop. And you have no idea who those people were. This is our time to look inward, look at every point of contact and say, are we remarkably easy to do business with? Are we 24 seven? And I don't want to hear the excuses like, do we do, I, I listen, I need some life balance we all have life balance. I'm 24 seven. But a couple of times a month, if somebody calls, because I have clients all over around the world, somebody calls from Singapore and they want to talk, I'm talking at two o'clock in the morning like this. Like I said, no pants probably. But the point is I'm accommodating them. My answer is yes. What's the question? Right. And don't be dismissive. If you're listening, well, yeah, you don't understand. Our pro- I understand all of your processes. I'm saying we have to say yes more often. We have to be accommodating more often because we can be. And sometimes there's a hard no. If you have a vegan restaurant yes, and somebody comes in and wants a Buffalo burger, that's a hard no. Okay? But really, how often are we saying no? Mm. More often than you think. Right? And, but part of this, are we, do we have the opportunity as business owners to make some of those changes? Do we know what people are asking for? that we're not able to do. I tell a story in my new book. Mm -hmm. I was at Chicago O'Hare Airport and I'm sitting at the rail facing out to the concourse at one of the restaurants. And I'm really close to the hostess station. And this was really, this was just life-changing for me because I just had such an epiphany. Mm -hmm. I'm watching person after person ask a question of the hostess. She shakes her head no, shrugs, they get mad and they leave. Mm -hmm. Next person asks the same question. She says, sorry, no. And they just get frustrated and they leave over and over and over again. Now, the question is, what was being asked of the hostess of that airport restaurant? Now, you will not be surprised to learn that what was asked is the most common question asked at an airport restaurant. And that question is, do you have any seats next to an electrical outlet? Right? Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. No, no, no. They probably lost $800 in business in the 30 minutes that I sat there. Now, the question is, do you think she's passing that on to her manager? No. No, because it's not her job. In her mind, her job is to do her job. She was trying to keep people in tables. But what would it cost for them to work overnight, one night, bring an electrician and wire up every single seat? They would make hundreds of thousands of dollars more over the course of a year. But that wasn't there. Do you have a process as a business owner? Do you have a process to document everything that's being requested that we don't do? So at least we can consider maybe we do add that to our mix. Maybe we do expand our services. Listen, if enough people are asking for it, maybe that's a profit center in our business. This is all about getting better, about looking at how do our customers want to do business with us and are we aligned with how they want to do it?
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I can I can see why uh, you made that jump. I mean, a lot of people are still focusing on pushing lots of clients at a company, but if you can't get them excited... Or, just, or
1: competency. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest issue is the marketing messages today basically say, we're really good at this and we really care. Okay. How much do you charge? <laughs> right? Because we talk, but we boast about it, about our quality and our commitment and our caring and our trust and our people. It's our people that make the difference. Really? Everybody's, everybody's people makes a difference, positive or negative. Everybody's, it doesn't mean anything for us. It's all about the customer. Who the hell else is it about? I mean, you're, you're in business, Right. And it may be true for us. We really care about a customer. Oh, here's the other one is passion. It's the least effective word in marketing and everybody uses it. We are passionate about insulation. We are passionate about construction materials. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm passionate about, about my kids and my Jeep, but it's not persuasive. Mm. We use competency-based claims, right? We're really good at this. And the problem is as a marketplace, if I'm looking at multiple vendors and we all do, And we look you up online and we look up on social media when I'm trying to make a decision. Now, this isn't necessarily if you're in a pure bid situation with a GC, but there are nuances there as well. The problem is when I see everybody and everybody's good, then I'm, I'm hammering you on price, right? I talk about the four most dangerous words in business are all things being equal. When I believe as your customer, B2B or B2C, it doesn't matter. If I believe that you're essentially the same as your competitors, I'm just hammering you on price right? Because you can all do it. Even if those people say, but we're so much better. Really? But if I don't see it, or if I don't care who's better, I worked with a home builder and they were spending, they were struggling on the verge of profitability. And we were looking at at, literally going through all of their materials and they do this enhanced roof trust. They were in in Colorado Springs, Colorado, Mm. an enhanced roof trust. And it really is phenomenal. I said, do, but do your customers care about that? Well, they said, well, we care about it. I said, Yeah, but I mean, if it's more expensive, I said, for all your competitors, are their roof trusses to code? Well, yeah. Well, yours costs an extra $14,000 a house, but is that something your customers care about? Right? We got to ask some profound questions. For them, everything is equal. So who's got a better price? Mm. If you're being hammered on price, it's because your prospects, your customers don't believe there's a significant difference between you and your competitors. It's the only reason we care about it. Right. If I don't think there's a difference, then it is about price. And if Mm -hmm. I don't, if your customers don't see a difference between you and your competitors, that's your fault. Yeah. But it's also your opportunity to differentiate yourself, do something different, make it easier to buy from you. I think that's where our real competitive advantage is today. I think there's a real parity in terms of construction materials, unless you're a high end builder or custom, whatever, at certain prices, as long as you're priced competitively. I think every, so many companies are good. Those competitors of yours are good. And most of them are really, really good people, right? They're not our enemies. They're, they're competitors. We're all in this space. I think the opportunity today, which is the core of my book, Why Customers Leave, is I think today our real differentiation is understanding our customers on a really deep level, not just what they want to buy, but about their life and their stresses and their pressures and their deadlines the more we can align how we do business to what our customers really want and need and fear and would love, that's being customer-centric, right? Product-centric means we're really good at what we do and we sell it to as many people as possible. And we create market share. Absolutely valid, still valid today. But when everybody's good, it's harder to be product-centric, right? If we're buying a dishwasher, they all can wash our dishes. Just depends on you want to pay more for different features, but everybody's good. The differentiation is segmenting and really understanding your customers on a deeper level. A lot to get into, but that's customer experience today. Yeah. It's helping customers be or helping businesses be customer centric, not customer focused. We're all focused on our customers, but customer centric means we're curious.
0: Mm. We
1: sit with our team, we dig deeper into who is buying from us. What do they hate about our industry? Right? And then look at list all the things that you think they hate about our industry. Are we guilty of any of those things? What are the things that they would love if we could do? Not what they do love. What would they love? You just imagine you were your customer. Oh, I would love it if they could do this. I would love it if I never had to think about it. I would love if I could do a real time job site video to see if people are on site. I would love to see the financial implications of using this higher grade material. Right? What would they love? Are you able to do some of those things? What do they fear? Here's another great one. What do you think your, your customers, what do they fear? Mm. Not, not like spiders, but like, <laughs> what do they fear in terms of your underperformance? Mm. What do they fear in terms of your maybe um, lack of experience compared to others? What do they fear? Here's a, here's a big one. Mm. Oftentimes they fear if they have established relationships and most everybody we're selling to has an established relationship to somebody if we're looking to grow. They fear having to face their current vendor and fire them. To hire you instead. People don't think about that. We talk about customer acquisition, right? How do we acquire? That's not your challenge. Most of us, it's customer conversion. Right? We it's not about getting a new customer. So we have to convince somebody to stop doing business the way they're currently and start doing it with us. That's hard. It's one of the things they fear. If you're professional service providers, if I'm like a financial service person, I don't want to go to a new financial because that means I got to fire that one. They worked with my dad. We have to be very convincing. So customer-centric. Is that it's like, do we really understand who buys from us? What are their pressures? What's their decision making process? Who else is part of that decision? What do they need to look good to their boss? All of us, it's, it's a different, it's a crazy time, but I love it. And it's part it gets me excited. We used to think, okay, let's do it demographically. Okay, every 22 year old Asian woman does not want to buy the same kind of pants, but based on what they live and where they go to school. And where they grew up, we can understand them deeper. And so there's great resources, big data and all that as well.
0: That's great. I like your uh, passionate message. I, I like how you clarify the individual aspects of it, right? The customer service, customer experience, customer centric. I think I've never heard anyone sort of break that down in, in the way that you have. So definitely it was really good. What I
1: appreciate A lot of people talk about customer. They think customer experience is just another term for customer service. And it isn't. Because how we experience doing business with companies, B2C and B2B, has changed. And so what we're looking for oftentimes is predictability, visibility, simplification, convenience, right? How much can we do on our phone? But there's other times when we absolutely want access to real people. I think the most maddening thing in my mind is companies restricting access to real people. I did a conference in Bogota, Colombia. I did a conference in in Abu Dhabi mm-hmm. talking customer experience. And for them, many of those in Mumbai, India, customer experience meant call centers and artificial intelligence chatbots. Like, honestly, I just want to talk to a real person. I don't want, you know, I mean, or they, they rely on frequently asked questions, right? FAQ. Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: God forbid they should have to answer the same question to those pesky customers who pay our bills and help us feed our families. <laughs> And so to make our life easier, we just send them to an FAQ. I find that insulting. Mostly because every question I have is rarely a frequently asked question. (laughs) Right? How often do you have questions that are not frequently asked questions? You cannot find a phone number. That's just my rant. That's the nice thing about this book is it's it's kind of a, a bit of a rant. Yeah. But it's also, it gives real strategies. At the end of every chapter, it says, here's why you do it. They give them off, get them off the hook. I understand the business behind it. Here's why you do it. Here's why we hate it. Yeah. And here's a better approach. So, well,
0: it's always good to be able to get uh, paid on a rant. How do they, uh, how do people find you? How do people get in touch
1: with you? Yeah. Good. Thank you. Look me up at davidavrin.com, A V R I N. And you can reach out to me as well. I do speaking, I do consulting, I do virtual sessions with teams as well during lockdown times in our economy. But, as you can see, I'm I'm passionate about this. I have a great time. It's very entertaining. It's very funny. But I use that strategically to temper a pretty tough message about what it takes to compete and win today. Look me up at davidavern.com. But let me plug one more thing. Sure. Because this, I think, is the most powerful work that I've ever done. And I've spent a year developing this because it's not a conference. It's not a one-time event. You know, I spent 20 years speaking. Audiences, organizations across the country, around the world. I've spoken at The Builder Show. I've spoken for the paint coders and powder coders and others as well. I love what I do. But when it's over, it's over. And then they go back to work. And so for me wanting to make a real impact, I think it's a conversation you need to have with your team every week, but a brief conversation. So I created this program called the Customer Experience Advantage Morning Huddle. And it's a seven minute video message, one subject every week, gather your team together virtually or in person Watch this seven-minute thing. I will challenge you on something that you do in your business, some way you think about how you interact and challenge you to do it differently or better or mostly just have a conversation. It's about crowdsourcing your own company for ideas about how to do something different or better or faster. And I even give a little facilitator's guide to keep the conversation on track. But it's a weekly delivery, one video message and have a brief conversation once a week. But if you go to customer experience advantage.com. You can see some sample videos, but for me, it's a crusade. It's an initiative, a year long initiative that I'm launching. And we're already in five languages in three months. That's how well it's been received. But what I love is that organizations are getting together every week and having one short conversation of 20 minutes about how they engage and how they think about engaging with their customers. So go to customer experience advantage.com and you can learn about that initiative and otherwise reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. And then the book is everywhere. (laughs) Why customers leave. (laughs) Thank you, David. You're awesome. Thank you, buddy.
0: I want to thank everyone for listening to specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world, to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, Please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon.